0: You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 124 called The Seven Commandments of Personalized Learning Enhanced with Ed Tech. In this episode, we'll share seven aspects of personalized learning and the tech tools that can enhance this personalized learning classroom. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out.
1: seems like yesterday that we just got to episode 100 and here we're almost 25 percent of the way into the next 100. I feel like we're we're going pretty strong. I'm enjoying what we're doing. How are you doing, Nate?
0: I'm doing really good. It's a it's a, a busy time of year because for us as we're recording it, the marking period or the quarter, whatever you want to call it, is closing out, which means for any teachers, myself included, there's lots of grading to be done. Uh, it, it also means for the EdTech coaches that are out there there's lots of people with uh grade book problems that they want fixed and and help with so i know i've been kind of running around helping other staff members get everything straightened out and and buttoned up for the end of that quarter but um it does feel good to to get underway and uh you know have have this year really kind of get into the the meat of of the, the school year so it's nice um i wanted to let everyone know also that as we're recording this um It's not exactly your birthday, but uh, close to it. And it's a big one. Uh, Dr. Geis over there just turned 40. Pretty exciting. And um, yesterday, one of his good friends, another staff member at our school, uh, and myself included sort of a team effort, kind of went nuts decorating, I think, I mean, it it had to be hundreds of pieces of paper, right? With like um, baby pictures or little kid pictures of you And then underneath each one, some kind of comment, typically making fun of you or calling you an old man or something like that. But we did that. We had a little flash mob in the media center where the choir came down and the kids sang, um, I can't remember the song, Forever Young, right? But they did Forever Old instead.
1: Yeah, you guys did a good job torturing me, but you uh, definitely poked the bear. I will say that because... uh, Before you even got here, I was known to pull a prank or two, but you guys wait for birthdays. I'm relentless. Every day is a potential prank day at Hobo Valley now. You guys opened up that can of worms. I'm glad that you did. I had a lot of fun. It was funny. I came in. As soon as I got out of my car... Like the whole, my, the entrance that I come in, the whole door was covered with these things.
0: Did you know what it was as soon as you saw uh, the white paper? I <laughs> contemplated
1: just like going home. <laughs> you know, I don't really like um, that type of attention. Uh, I guess it's kind of like Nick when he won countless Teacher of the Year awards. I mean, you, you, you appreciate it, but. You know, you just feel uncomfortable, but I think that's the whole purpose. Yeah,
0: it's it's awkward for sure, but you you handled it well, and it was it was a good time um, to kind of see see all that go down. I just can't believe how many uh, how many pieces of paper with your face on it were actually printed out. It must have taken this uh, this guy like. Uh, it had to have been hours to hang all these things up, and I'm wondering who's going to take them down. We cleaned up some of them here in the media center, but... Uh, I
1: will not take down any of them. No, and you shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, the school beautification project is on full force, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, seriousness, I do appreciate the efforts. Uh, that I would have to say that the choir was by far the standout they are so talented that was cool and the fact that they could just throw that together i'm not sure if they took a lot of time to throw it together but it sounded like they took a lot of time but yeah so happy 40th to me i am old over the hill and what other sayings that you guys told me yesterday (laughs) i get the order from the old people's menu now apparently i didn't know that was a thing at 40 but oh wow really apparently Hmm. you know i guess uh I've made it. I had a
0: student in my office this morning, and all the kids were into it too. They thought it was super funny, uh, looking at all these pictures of you and uh, the little jokes on each printed out sheet, but uh, this particular student was around for all of this yesterday and she said, I don't get what the big deal is, 40 doesn't even seem that old to me. Amen. And it, <laughs> it made me laugh because I'm not 40, but I'm not far off, I think I'm 36. I, kinda, I don't pay attention to it because it depresses me. But I'm close, and it does seem super old to me, not because 40 is old, but I think if you're 40, like the next one is 50, and that seems old. And no, no offense to all of our, our listeners of that age bracket. Obviously, this is all relative. This is just a couple of, you know, kind of our perspective right now looking at these these changes. It's is, it is weird to think about that That's it's happening to us, man.
1: Speaking of our perspectives, let's get into the episode a little bit. Uh, just want to let everyone know that we will be doing the free link uh, learning virtual conference. Uh, I believe it's next Tuesday, the 8th. Yep. And uh, I think we go on at like 10 o'clock or something like that. Maybe 45 minutes. If you've never seen one of our EdTech throwdowns, please come out. Uh, go on to the link learning webpage, register for the free virtual event, and you'll be able to see one of our... EdTech throwdowns where Nick and I go, a mano, a mano, a mano, el swine. I don't know what that means, but it was from a video. <laughs> they a movie from my childhood, and it always sticks with me. I don't know why.
0: El swine.
1: That's funny. Yeah, it means pig, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. So uh, it is what it is. There we go. So we're going to basically go at each other with five to seven EdTech tools apiece, and then our audience votes on Uh, who was the winner it's just a fun little thing where Nick loses all the time and I win it's not really true I just feel that way because uh um you know I feel like I won a lot of them and and Nick's sitting across from me so the trash talk must begin
0: yeah I mean we've we've done it so often we used to keep track but we kind of fell off of who's won what but whoever wins it's a good time it's sort of like our our uh, premier presentation that we do as a, as a team. And it's, it's a fun, it's a fun one to watch. And it's a, you, know, you should get a lot of good ed tech out of it
1: too. The other big event coming up is the New Jersey Teachers Association, Educators Association uh, statewide conference in Atlantic City. That will be next Thursday and Friday. I believe that's like the 9th, 10th, the 10th and the 11th, something like that. Uh, We're not presenting. Uh, I might take a drive down there uh, because I forgot to tell my babysitter that uh, I had off that day. So I might take advantage, go down and and, uh, check it out, see what it's about. Because typically I'm not around this weekend. I I take the time to go visit family. But this year I'm not going to do that because they're coming to us. So in a couple weeks for Thanksgiving, very excited about that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, let's get into today's episode, which is all about personalized learning strategies and the ed tech that supports these personalized learning classrooms. Uh, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we kind of wrote out, seven different branches of personalized learning that we want you to kind of think about. For the most part, I think a lot of educators out there are doing some form of personalized learning at least part of the time while they're teaching. However, just putting this list together made me realize that there are areas that I can improve upon, and that's what we're hoping happens with our listeners, that there's something that you can grasp onto, whether it's an ed tech tool whether it's a teaching strategy, we put a couple activities in here uh, that you can look at, and hopefully you could reflect upon your practice and see if there's something that you can add into your practice to make your classroom just a little bit better.
0: Yeah, so we called it the seven commandments of edtech, not because you should do or must do all these things all the time, it's the same, um, you know, it's the same COA that we put at the start of our ed tech presentations, which is don't feel pressure to incorporate every single thing we talk about. That's a very stressful way to listen into any of our episodes or any of our presentations. But you wanna listen to all of them and and none of these is is stuff that is probably new. Maybe a couple of them might be new, but these are things we know, but these are things that are are easy to kind of push off on the back burner. And we just wanna kind of run through the list and bring it back to the front burner and remind everyone that this is some good stuff to incorporate in your class when you can, as much as you can. Even if it's just one thing that you hear today, it might be helpful and it might help you connect to one of your kids because that's what it's all about. Personalized learning, um, putting the student at the center because that's, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. I mean, we're trying to teach, teach them. So they should be at the center and we think that this list of seven things is a good way to do it
1: yeah so what does it mean to be at the center i think we sometimes think that's where the students just go off do their learning and the teachers are here just to help out that's not the case at all a lot of people say that teachers aren't really teaching in this form of of uh well it is teaching i can't get around it it's teaching it's actually harder Uh, in some cases, once you get the practice down, then it becomes easier and it becomes more of a shared learning experience rather than a dictation or a lecture. All right. So the first, I don't know, tenant, maybe not commandment, maybe tenant, tenants, we've been struggling for the terminology, but first aspect of personalized learning and probably the most important in my opinion is getting to know the learners, now notice i said learners and not students all right every time a group of people go into a classroom you have your teacher and you have your students those are titles that are given you don't even need to earn those really i mean the teacher yes they have to earn the accreditation and all that but you're given that at the beginning it says it on the schedule but we need to make these students learners and the way that we do that is we get to know them figure out what makes them tick and we help give them resources and we support them in a way that they take autonomy of their learning that means that they are interested in what they're doing and in order to get them interested you have to figure out what they're interested in and make ties between their interests and the content that you're teaching we need to recognize that all learners are different so I know that our good buddy Kyle uh, uses this for UDL, Universal Design for Learning, this analogy, but I'm gonna say it because I don't think there's one that I've heard out there and I can't come up with one that's better. All right, if you treat your classroom like you treat hosting a picnic with a lot of people coming, you don't just make one thing, you don't just offer one thing. You have to figure out who has dairy, uh, you know, lactose intolerant, Uh, Dairy intolerance, maybe who has Crohn's, who has a nut allergy, so on and so forth, who's a vegetarian, who's a vegan, and you have to make sure that all those options are covered when you plan a picnic. Same thing when you're teaching a classroom. We have auditory learners, we have, you know, visual learners, we have learners that, you know, tactile learners where they have to manipulate things with their hands. We have visual graphic organizer type learners. We have learners that can read it or see something one time and they're good. They have it committed to memory. So just like we would plan for a picnic, we have to plan our classroom the same way. And we have to do our homework. That means read the IEPs and actually understand them. Uh, 504 plans. Try to identify who your fidgeters are within the first week. Who likes drama? Who likes the- like drama and theater? Not drama isn't being dramatic. Um, who likes drama? Who likes sports? Who likes music? What gets them ticking? And this would include special education students, gifted students or twice exceptional students, SEL students, ESL students. I saw that you added multiple intelligence, which is great. And then once we have that, we could look at some of the other things that play into it as well to see how we're going to teach our kids
0: yeah i mean you mentioned udl obviously that's that's great you can tie in here any any of the kind of blended learning strategies like a flipped classroom or different stations that the kids can rotate through and we we don't want to go too much into that here because that's a whole other episode itself but these are the ways that you can meet those different needs effectively even if it's something as simple as giving options to your class when they're going to complete an assignment i just did a a chemistry project where the kids had to design design their own fictional element, like some super heavy element that's being created in, in a lab for the first time. And, and they get to, they take the role of the discoverer and get to name it and describe it and go through all the processes that a chemist might do when they, when they go through this process and, and make a new element. And I've always just done it as like a, a piece of paper where they kind of make a little miniature poster. But you know, why not say, if you would like to do a digital version of this, here's a Canva template that I put together for you. Click this link if you wanna make it digital. Or here's a Google Drawings template with some links that I have embedded if that works for you. Can be very small little changes that meet those needs. Even just, uh, you know, a worksheet that you're gonna do for tomorrow's class period. Digitize that worksheet and include within it links to extra supports. Even simply the act of making it digital allows students to zoom in on the text. So if they need larger font, they have the option for that. If they have a Chrome extension that lets them read text aloud, now they've got the, the audio component that they didn't have befo- before if you're just handing them a piece of paper. So there's other downsides too to simply digitizing a worksheet for the sake of digitizing it, but it does open some doors that didn't exist before. So. Those are just all some very simple ways to meet these different student needs that I wanted to mention.
1: Yeah, and and a great way to start your year, your classroom off, is by giving them student choice. You'll be able to learn a lot about how they learn if you give them a choice board. And this is one of our favorite things to do with personalized learning and really all the blended learning strategies is creating these Choice boards that will allow them to take a hold of their learning and kind of integrate their interests into one of the beginning projects. And uh, I can't remember, it was over the summer, maybe in July or August, I presented at the MoatCon 2022. I linked my presentation in here, it's just a whole bunch of different ways that you could use Moat. Which is a feedback extension, but it's way more than that now. At least I'm finding ways of using it as a communication or ways for students to prove mastery of concepts using audio clips. So this is an this is an awesome tool, and uh, you're going to hear this a couple of times throughout this episode. But if you want a free uh, mini subscription to Moat, you can go to our website myatechbundle.com. If you're a first-time user and you could get a couple of months for free uh, of Moat Premium or Moat Pro or whatever their terminology is, but it's such an amazing tool. And I I link there somewhere around 20 templates that you can incorporate easily into any content of any classroom uh, for you to take, use however you want.
0: Yeah, that's a great resource. Check it out. And I think that wraps it up for our our tenant number one, getting to know the learners. Number two, once you've gotten to know the learners and you've started thinking about how to meet their needs, um, one of the ways you can do it is by setting up your classroom environment in a personalized way, you know, ideally based on what you have learned about your class. Um, You might sometimes hear this called a flexible learning environment where You know, I'll tell you how I picture it, and maybe you've got a different definition, but in my mind's eye, it's a a classroom, but where there's different spaces around the room where, you know, maybe one corner is set up in a little coffee shop style where it's, you could call it a reading corner maybe, and the kids can go get a drink. I know we've got a couple teachers here that actually have like a little coffee station. That's obviously for high school kids but you could do it, you could do a, a, you know a little drink station some comfortable chairs they can sit some books that they can choose to read you might have a different area that's set up for group work you might have another area that's set up for that direct instruction but just giving these different options around the classroom is a way that you can have the environment open up to different types of learners
1: yeah that's a great way of putting it i i want everyone to think about this cuz Traditionally, we have desks in rows, all right? and that's great for the lecture-style learning. But make sure that you're picking a setup that's conducive to how you're teaching. If you're doing a personalized learning or collaborative learning style, you don't want a bunch of individuals in that classroom. You don't want rows. All right? You want them the desks facing each other. So if you have lines of desks, You can easily make that more personalized uh, into a more personalized learning setup by turning the desks into one another and having more of a King Arthur's round table thing, just a circle of desks or a square of of desks. You could do it that way. Uh, Carpet squares, especially if your uh, school is doing any type of renovation, typically they have those carpet squares left over. I grabbed a bunch of them from the media center uh, just so if I want to offer any services into a class, I could go in there with a bunch of carpet squares and we could throw them, push the desk to the outside and we could throw them down and they could sit on the carpet squares. Uh, but you know, I've seen a lot of teachers get creative, they wait, they see uh, furniture that's being you know, recycled or thrown out, and they're able to manipulate the furniture to to fit their flexible learning uh, style, and I think that's great. So definitely take some time, to see if you can come up with ways to set up your classroom a little differently that allow you to produce a classroom full of collaborators instead of individual learners.
0: Yeah, and, you know we want to throw out one of our favorite edtech tools to mention here. That is Classroom Q as a really great way to open up some of this flexibility in your learning environment. Uh, Classroom Q, if you don't know, it's like a digital hand raised tool where instead of having to, if you're a student, instead of having to sit there with your hand in the air while you're waiting and waiting and waiting and maybe eventually put your hand down because it's taking too long, you can just click a button and the teacher will see in a, you know, a queue a list uh, all the students that have pushed the hand raise button so you can get back to them at any point it's nice to have a tool like that available when your space is flexible because it's going to help you keep track and it's going to make sure the students know that no matter what they have a way to let the teacher know that they need some assistance in classroom queue is a, a really great product it's another one too that you can sample for uh, get a free premium subscription at myantechbundle.com. Although you can also just use uh, some basic level services of Classroom Cube for free without any kind of sign-ups. And you can just uh, give, give them a Google and head to their website to, to check that out.
1: All right, let's get into our third commandment or tenant or whatever we're calling it, and that's help set uh, goals with your students. Uh, this one's a big one, but I want to challenge everybody to... Typically, what we do is we get overly involved in their goal setting. Students really don't understand the importance of it. But the key here, and this is one that I have to get better on, and I have been improving on, and listen 90% talk 10. Listen to what they have to say, what they want to work on, and just give them the support needed to accomplish those things. So if there's... The 10% is really if they are setting the bar extremely too high where it's unreachable or unattainable, you want to bring them back down to earth a little bit. Maybe say, okay, we're going to work towards that, but our first goal is going to be this. And then we'll once we hit that target, we'll, we'll make another goal. So really chunking very large goals is a great way to use that 10%. Uh, another great way is if a kid is stuck, I know when I always tried to make goals, I I didn't want to say something that was too attainable because it made me look like a slacker, and I didn't want to go overboard either because, to be honest with you, unless I had a teacher that was more into a collaborative style that allowed you to do independent work when you need to but also talk and, and communicate with your peers, I didn't really thrive, and I wasn't comfortable in those situations. And to be honest with you, growing up, I didn't have many of these collaborative learning styles, and that was just the way that you know teachers taught back then. But it did not fit my needs, and it caused me to struggle in a lot of my classes. Um, when I talk struggle, I mean, I had to put a lot of effort in to learn that way. Uh, I, I was able to do it, but... So that 10% is really just to shape their goals, make sure it's attainable, but still challenging, and really getting the students to believe that they're the ones setting the goals, even though you know you kind of know where you want them to get to.
0: Another thing related to this is you know, being flexible but also holding a standard. It's easy as a human being to take advantage of any environment that is too flexible, and that's not you know, trashing students, that's just human nature. Any, any adult would do the same thing. If you know that any any bar that has been set is not really a bar, that if you just ignored it, there would be no consequence, anyone is going to take advantage of that, obviously. So, you want to you want to hold some standards, but also be flexible and, and be a human with your students if they're, you know, on a case-by-case basis, and this goes back to getting to know them. If they're dealing with something in their personal life, they probably should get an extension on what they are trying to complete for your class and you can change that for them Uh, but also knowing that there is still a a guide here there is still a standard that we have to set and just being direct you can go up to a a student and tell them you know you're falling a little bit behind today you must do this in whatever form it's in by the end of this class period it, it needs to get done and that's part of that goal setting and they can use those things when they're setting their own goals later in life, too. So um, that's that's a big one, kind of walking your students through this process because they're kids. They don't always know that that's, that's part of a decision-making process. And that's part of learning is kind of deciding what needs to get done and when. So a, a very important one, as, as is number four, our attendant number four. This is what I struggle with the most in class, questioning. Very, very challenging I'm going to kind of tie that in with just running classroom discussions where your kids are talking to each other, because a lot of that is facilitated by the questioning the teacher asks. Super, super challenging. I know one way that I've approached this recently is just changing the way, like if I'm done explaining something, say during a little bit of direct instruction, instead of just saying the typical, does anyone have any questions, which almost always falls flat unless you are you have an exceptional group of students, pretty much nobody's going to say too much, especially as the year gets on and the kids are sort of starting to get a little more tired and complacent in what's going on. That's tough. Just literally changing your wording on things. Instead of saying that, you can say, what are you wondering about? Um, There's another slight wording change that I can't remember. I saw this on Instagram from somebody. Instead of saying, Uh, Does anyone have any questions? I think this lady said she just switched to uh, what are your questions about and then you name the specific topic that you just went over. And even just that can, like, totally bring out students' uh, minds that really weren't even paying attention to what questions they had before. So you can find little changes like that.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I like to do in our first supervisor I think she was your supervisor too Mary Youngs uh, she helped me out with this she would always ask me how I wanted to be observed like what am I after what do I think I need to improve on and without a doubt it was questioning every time I was when I first started out I was like uh, we, we gotta get this done I'm just gonna give them the answer that was terrible right terrible teacher of the year award goes to me great. But she pointed out my first year questioning is difficult for first year teachers, new teachers. And to be honest with you, everybody, everybody. Yeah. So one of the things I kind of reflected on my practice with is how can I get them to figure out the answer without me just give it to them? So what I do is I use the whiteboard and I call it a brain dump. I invite the kids to go up to the whiteboard. We grab markers. We figure out what they're confused about. So, for example, if they do something like cellular respiration or photosynthesis, I'll be like, all right, great. So, your question is on this topic. Let's write down every single word that ties in with that topic that you know about, and let's write down every single word that you're confused about, or what parts of these words are you confused about. So, really at the end of that like little three to five minute session they understand all the components of it they just didn't understand the order that it went in and what drove that particular process so we were able to figure out together what they knew what they didn't know and how we had to help them get rid of those misconceptions and connect the dots So at the end of that, that kind of gave me a way to address the whole class. So I just brought the whole class back in. And if one group has a question on it, there's probably others too. So then what I'd be able to do is bring them all back in. I don't do that every single time. I just do it when I have a feeling that there is a misconception there. But that's a good way of doing it. Doing a brain dump. There's a whole bunch of little mini questions that go into it. Like, what do you know about this topic? What are you confused about this topic? And then at the end, can I get anyone to help them identify things that they've missed? And then what we do is we just lump them all together. So,
0: Yeah, excellent ideas there. I'm gonna piggyback off of that, at least for the high school level, and this probably applies uh, to more than that too. Um, your worksheets or activities where students are answering specific questions and then as a class you're going to go over that right that's a really important thing to do obviously we're all doing that in some form well at least in the math and science world that can be pretty stressful for kids especially the ones that were confused while trying to answer those questions because now as we're going over it and i'm calling on people or going around the room and saying you know tommy what do you what's your answer to number one is probably one of the more stressful classroom Events that can take place. I know when I was in school, I absolutely hated it. Even if I knew what, what was going on and had answers, it was just so such a. You just feel called out. You feel exposed, and I think it's a smaller percentage of students that are okay with that, and a much harder, a larger percent uh, that find this this like not nice and not fun. So. But, you know, we got to balance it with the need of that's important to do. You have to go over material like this so students get some feedback on those answers in real time. Um, One thing I've started doing this year is when I go and choose a particular student to share a response at the beginning of that session, I will say to the whole group, if I call on you for, say, number two, um, you have three options. You can give the answer that you came up with. You can explain what you know about it. So if you don't have an answer, but you know a little bit about that topic, you could just pretty much start talking about what you think you might have to do. Or if you don't even have that, you could literally ask a question about number two. You know what I mean? If, if you don't know how to begin, you, your question could even be, I don't know how to start this. And then that's your intro to throw it out to the rest of the class and say, okay, great. There's probably other people out there that also don't know how to start number two. Does anyone have any ideas? And you always want to keep it. It's like just keeping everything as open as possible all the time to any response because then you're not shutting down thought. You are allowing any thought, even if that thought is a question, which really should be the point. And that's made a huge difference for me. I don't know why it took me like 15 years to figure that out, but.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I would not do any type of direct calling on, like asking them to do any type of recall, especially at the beginning of the year when no one knows anybody. But once they're more comfortable, I think it can be a powerful learning tool because I've said this many, many times, students learn the most when they're uncomfortable. Exactly. Because they want to fight their way back. But you have to be very crafty in the way that you do that. So, our next two, five and six, I'm going to kind of give you like a two-minute rant soapbox type moment. <laughs> and then you tell me if I'm all wet. Sure. Or if you kind of agree with me. And all I right. don't expect you to agree with me ever because that's just, you know, our nature. But All right. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right. So, the next one is develop your assessment strategies and I, we put down here standardized testing so these are your typical uh, summative assessments versus uh, content creation or pbl type approach so standardized testing we'll just call that you know to go with the summative assessment is more of a individual activity that challenges them in a way of their test-taking skills and their content, where uh, content creation, or PBL, basically allows them to choose the way that they're going to present their mastery, and uh, and it allows them to work with the content and make further connections. For me personally, standard-based grading is terrible. I hate the state-based testing. I wish it would go away. It did go away during COVID, but now we're bringing it right back. And I can't wait to look at the data in a couple of years to see how our students who didn't have to do standardized testing for two years do compared to the ones that you know have to do the standardized testing. Now, I believe personally that at the younger ages, I think they were more impacted with the shutdown of schools during COVID because we now have third graders that don't know how to read or they're not at the reading level that they should be. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because I have several elementary teacher friends and I have kids in the elementary schools. And I will tell you that, you know, my son knows how to read, but that's because he has two teachers basically at home working with him all the time. So not everyone... Gets that same playing field, but yet we're still taking 10, 10 days out of the school year to standardize test them when we know that they're behind. Why not give them those 10 days to get caught up? Give those teachers the chance to get them more caught up and then, you know what, have standardized testing a couple years down the road. But that's where I'm kind of at with that. But the difference between the two, standardized and just like just allowing them to be able to produce content and and do projects like that is that, you know, very little in this world now do we have to memorize things. We just need to memorize the process of getting information. So why do we continue to do these summative assessments when the real world is saying, yeah, we really need you to be project ready. Our job as teachers is to get students prepared for the real world. So, do we show them a process of how to do what they're going to do in the real world or do we continue making them memorize useless facts that they could look up by typing it into Google or some other platform that they're working with? So that's where I'm at. Those are my two cents. That's my rant. What do you think?
0: It's tough to argue with anything you said. I mean, obviously, it's all, that's kind of where both of us would stand on it, so I can't really counterpoint you at all with any of that stuff. Um, my only comment or thought would be that personally, I, I want to see how, how it works when you switch to the other side, when you get away from, you know, that percentage grader, or when you get away from the typical assessment. And really what I'm talking about or what I'm leading to is we've actually got some teachers at our high school that are trying this right now where their students, it's, I think it's an AP English class or AP composition or something, those students are not getting grades at all. When they log into their learning and management system and they click on the, their AP English class, let's just call it, they don't see anything. They don't see any percentage because nothing's getting entered there. They have switched, like done a complete 180 and are literally scoring them uh throughout the quarter based on their improvement compared to how they did when they first started writing at the very beginning of the year. So for us, this is, you know, at least at our high school, this is new-ish. We haven't really fully committed to it like this group of teachers are doing right now. Uh, what I would really like to do is is kind of talk to them and ideally talk to some of those students afterwards and see what they thought about it. One of their big motivations is the, the stress that ideally is removed when a student can't be constantly aware of what their grade is. You know, these kids, they they check their grade constantly all day, every day, and that can induce a lot of anxiety. And anxiety is kind of like the enemy of learning, right? You can't really learn stuff if you're super stressed all the time, at least not as well. So their thinking is if there was no grade to check, then the students would stop checking constantly And what are you going to focus on if you can't focus on what your grade is? Well, maybe I can focus on my writing and and being better. So they are getting feedback, and they are getting some scores on like a six-point scale for everything they write. But they don't see that they have an 82 or a 92 or whatever it is. Now, they have some process where at the end of the quarter, they are converting some of that information to a numerical grade. And they've came up with a system for that. I can't give the details. I'm just saying I would like to to look at it after the fact and talk to them and talk to these kids and see see what they thought about it. But, you know, the, the long and short of it is everything you said is great. It's just about figuring out a process for how all that stuff works.
1: I think it's wisdom in my old years. <laughs> it took me a while to get to those conclusions. Right. All right. The next one kind of goes along with it. And you hinted at it. And this is number six. And this is Grading and I have standards-based grading versus percentage grading. For me, this is what this means and I'll break it down. So percentage-based grading is what we're currently in and that's when students are getting compared to other students in the classroom. So we have them take a test, they get a 75 and then we throw the class average up on the board or we say, hey, our class average was a 70, so we're gonna give a 5% curve, so our, our grade's up to a 75. All right, once again, our job as teachers is to look at the individual student. We don't look at the whole class and say, oh, you guys had an average of 83 you all passed high school. We don't do that. We do, oh, Johnny, you had an 83, you got a B, great job, here's your degree you pass this class, etc. You know, that's what we do. So once again, we're taking a practice comparing everybody. And I'm not saying that those statistics aren't relevant. I'm not saying that we can't learn stuff from looking at the whole group and looking at those statistics. Maybe that's how we get our misconceptions within our course. But what I'm saying is, is our school We're talked to, most of our direction is to tailor to the individual student, but yet we're using a system that is more tailored to looking at the population as a whole. Right. So we need to do some type of a performance-based grading or standards-based grading or competency-based grading. These are all terminology that we throw out there that can be intertwined a little bit or somewhat They overlap, but there might be a unique difference. But I like that better because this is like our English teachers right now. They're comparing, you know, Johnny and Sarah individually to themselves from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. And they're looking for mastery, they're looking for improvement, they're looking for target areas in which the teacher could help them learn. This in itself is more personalized. You're up. What do you think?
0: Yep. You nailed it. I just can't wait. Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I'm I'm nervous about when we switch to, you know, someone forcing me to do standards-based grading because of the work it's going to take me to, to shift over to that. Um, so, while I'm sort of not looking forward to it in that aspect, I'm really looking forward to it in terms of, I think I kind of need someone to force me to do it just so we can say, this is the year... I'm not giving a student a 93 anymore. I'm giving them a list of chemistry things that they're supposed to know and sort of checking boxes and saying, here's what you were able to show me at the beginning of the year, and here's what you're, you were able to show me now. And it's, it's just a much more common sense approach, and we, we need to get, get everybody down that road. And kudos to those of you out there who are already doing it. But that's some of the grading stuff, of course, that goes along with personalized learning, which means it is time to get into our final, our seventh tenant um, on some of the EdTech tools that can support this.
1: Yeah, this is uh, a great list that we've come up with. We've done some research. Uh, due to time and everything, it's going to be one of these things where we kind of tell you the functionality, we tell you the name of the tool, and then we have everything hyperlinked in the show notes so you can go and check them out. All right, so... We're going to go through, let's see, eight different categories here. Reading, uh, planning, and organization, so that's one. Uh, Writing, collaboration, curation, note-taking, research, and publishing. We could have gone another 15 or 20 deep, but these are our main ones that we want to talk about. Our first one is reading. And one of my favorite tools, which is free is by natural readers it's called natural readers and it will allow you to um, get a free account for a powerful text-to-speech program and this is absolutely awesome you could upload text and documents or convert to an mp3 to listen to anywhere So there's an online reader. You could go there, watch a video, and it's very easy to understand. It's very easy to operate. And it's just one of those powerful tools that we could use with all of our students. It might fit really well into our special ed population, but I will tell you this, it will work with all students. You give all the students the opportunity, and they get to choose whether or not they use it.
0: Yep, that's a really cool one. Um, Under planning and organizing, we've got three tools listed. Uh, The first couple are sort of like, um, you know, mind mapping or or brainstorming tools. Um, This first one in particular called Mind Meister is all about collaborative mind mapping, which to me is sort of where it really separates itself. But You know, just the ability to easily create these diagrams that help map out your thought. Mindomo is a similar thing, creating mind maps, concept maps, outlines, um, even a certain type of chart that we didn't talk about called a Gantt chart. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And then um, one we're going to go back to a lot on this list, and that is Canva for education. If you're a teacher or a student, you're going to find all sorts of organizational templates on Canva that can give you sort of the old school paper printout, but this time you can edit it and make it your own. So, uh, three good ones there.
1: Yeah, so the first two, you get three mind maps for free. I don't know how often you're gonna use mind maps, but if this is gonna be a regular occurrence, I would strongly suggest staying with Canva for Education because that's free for educators and students all the time, and they have some amazing templates that make it super easy to use. The next subcategory is writing. Uh, Speech to text is a great Chrome extension that it's somewhere between 95 and 99% accurate. When I typically use speech to text programs because I guess I'm monotone and my voice is so low that it does not pick up a lot of the words that i say or maybe i just don't enunciate words very well i'm not sure but um this one does a really great job for my voice so if it's going to do a great job for my voice i think it would probably work for everybody uh, and then there's another extension called WordTune that we brought up a couple times and it is part of the myotech bundle the free mini subscription word tune will allow students to type things out and then highlight it. And when they highlight whatever they typed out, it will give them different options to write whatever they have typed out the same way, like different ways to write or get the same point across, I guess. So that is WordTune.
0: Yeah, we love WordTune and these are, I think that little section you just went over is one of the easiest ways to let tech meet some of those individual student needs. I'm glad we got to share a couple specific tools there. Uh, under the collaboration banner, we've got uh, two things to bring up. Canva again, if you're sick of hearing it, um, don't be, because Canva, we think, and you've been telling me a lot about this recently, is, is really becoming a, or trying to become an all-encompassing tool, really for for schools in particular. Um, you know, if you're thinking about Canva just as the 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 graphics generator where you can design an Instagram post. It is slowly and maybe not so slowly becoming so much more than that. They've already got, um, besides just the graphics creation, they've got the video editing which is becoming much, much easier to use and and more all-inclusive. They're even starting up, um, it might still be like in a beta form, I'm not sure if everyone can use it yet. But they're trying to also use these Canva templates as sort of like a Google Doc, a collaborative place to make stuff happen, uh, even if it's just like that typical, as you would think of, word processing. Except now, with all the Canva build-ins, you can do so much more with it and it becomes even more flexible of a space to work together on stuff. Um, so I've you know I put a question mark here next to Canva that calls it the new Google Doc because maybe it is maybe this is the direction it's going it's worth checking out for sure um, and then the other thing I want to throw out there is something called discord discord.com typically you know this is a spot for um, it's tough to describe not really social media it's sort of like an all-in-one place for chatting and video meets and all this kind of stuff you know more about it than me Um, a lot of it's used for like gaming groups and and that type of thing but it's more and more it's opening up to to school clubs because it it is a place where you can talk to each other synchronously or asynchronously in tons of different formats and I think it's worth at least throwing it out there you were at the beginning stages of seeing people at our school not use it but like ask to use it and see if it's okay make sure it's all right with your school's policies but it seems like it's going down that road. Their, their main page now, like the homepage for Discord, references school groups using it. So it's f- certainly something that they are trying to break into, and I think we're going to see more of that.
1: Yeah, Discord, I think, could be powerful if it's under the right management. And Canva for Education, I think it's going to be a one-stop shop for all content creation for educators and students at least in our field. It's already pretty well-known in the business and marketing fields, but uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming with Canva for Education. Uh, the next one is curation, and this is just where you gather a bunch of stuff uh, for your students, resources for them to use, like it could be these EdTech tools, it could be just different things. The two that we have down are Google Sites, which is a great place to put a class website, and the other one is Wakelet. And Wakelet will allow you to collect anything, any type of resource and put it in a big collection for your students to use. You could even have them as editors and they can add stuff there as well. So that's the curation. I think we're, we're getting a great list here and uh, we're going to continue this list with note taking. There are three different uh, note taking tools that we want to mention here. The first one is Scribe and Scribe has a free account to it. Uh, It allows you to use all the basic note-taking tools, such as a highlighter, such as an annotator, those types of things. Uh, So definitely look at Scribble. Uh, That is a great one. And Nick, I think you added two more that you're more familiar with.
0: Yeah, I just was thinking for note-taking, mentioning some extensions that are out there to make it a little bit easier on students. Uh, Quick Notes is not a popular one, but it looks like a really good one, well-rated. Uh, on the uh, as a Chrome extension, it's just opening a new tab in your Chrome, uh, your Chrome browser, and taking all sorts of color-coded notes. There you can drag in images and stuff. My favorite one is called Note Anywhere. This lets you actually take notes on a web page, and then it saves those notes. So every time you go back to that web page, those notes are all right there. Uh, I use a class webpage, like a Google site, to post everything for my my students in my classes. So I tell them to to use that, like as they're there accessing my resources, they can actually be writing things down on the webpage itself. And that's kind of a neat way to save those things. Um, Under research is a tool called The Juice that's also part of the myedtechbundle.com uh, not package, I guess, but a list of tools. This is, they take news articles and make them accessible for middle and high school teachers. You can have those articles sort of rewritten in different uh, different reading levels. And there's a, a couple different websites that will do this for you. We're throwing the juice out there because it's one of our favorites. And it's just nice to point kids in a direction where they can get accurate quality research so check out the juice
1: yeah and i will mention that a lot of our individual content areas have amazing platforms like hhmi for science data nuggets for science there's a whole bunch of them out there for science that i could tell you about but uh that's just because i was a previous science teacher there are others out there i know that the history uh teachers like a lot of pbs uh resources out there. So that might be a resource that you, you throw out to your kids, but there are a whole bunch of different ones for different content areas. So our last one is publishing. And this is one that we keep throwing out and we keep tacking on. So, uh, there's the four C's of creativity and blah, 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 blah. I'm done. Like the four C's are very, very important, but I think we're missing one and it's not a C unless you put content in front of it. Content Publishing we want our students to be content creators. Maybe that's it. double C there content creators Uh, but um, This is a big one. So it's there are several simple ways But pretty much everything fits into a blog you could put a video into a blog with writing underneath it uh, pictures into a blog artwork into a blog all this stuff you can even use a blog to help explain a manipulative or uh, some type of a mind map, like how it connects. You can tell a story that way. All right. We can use audio in a blog. All right. That's a podcast. You can throw a podcast up there with show notes underneath. All right. But where can we host these things? So, for blogs, anything I just mentioned, Edublogs allows you to do that. So, go check out Edublogs. It is free, or there is a free version there. You can make a video channel have a classroom video channel and just have it under the teacher's YouTube channel. All right? And you can make that and each, each year instead of deleting that content, you could leave it up there and you could just make a new playlist for each year, each class that you have. And this is one of my biggest things here. If you do that, whatever last year students make, you can have your new students listen to it and then take that video a step further. So now we have continuous learning rather than just stagnant learning where we do the same thing over and over and over again each year. And then the last one are class websites. Google sites will work perfectly. Uh, It's free if you're, well, it's part of your education package if you are a Google um, area. But you could also make these websites, these landing pages, I believe on Canva now or that's something that's coming out. So once again, there's Canva for education. If you want to take a look at what uh, Nick and I have created at our school, I put that website underneath. That's hvspn.com. And uh, that's going to wrap up our tools. And that's also going to wrap up our episode uh, if you got value in this episode, please tell other teachers, other educators that might want to take a listen. Also, you can follow us on all the social medias at we got tech, uh, Nick at Nick got tech, me at GeistGotteched, and please take a look at our YouTube channel. All this stuff which is linked in the show notes. Until next time, go out and personalize your classroom.